tuned in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 377 with the legend that is Ian Jeffries. So we talk all about change direction and agility testing. But just before we do dive into this episode with Ian, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you were like me, you're an organisation with limited budget, but you want to collect some quality, subjective data and report that back to the head coach. Well, you can now for free with AMS Lite from Rock Daisy. So check it out at rockdaisy.com. Over the last probably year or 18 months, maybe two years, when agility and change direction has come up in conversation, testing has been a bit poo-pooed. And, oh, we don't, no, we don't do any testing. It's because of this, that, and the other. Which, previous to that, it may have been more well-discussed and people may be including it in their, in their program or testing battery. From your point of view, has testing the qualities around change direction agility ever being ever being valued and if it has at what point did the switch happen excellent question and i i I think whatever i say now is is going to antagonize some and delight others because we do seem (laughs) to get into camps on this um if I look at strength and conditioning and where I think it is at the moment, that probably starts to give clues uh, about how I think on this. I think there is a temptation for us to size everything. We want figures. We find that that gives us... We're, we're always looking for clarity. We're always looking for credence and that certainty in, in what we do. And... If, if you think what we talked about earlier in, in the scientific realm that has dominated strength and conditioning, data and figures are the way in which we get that clarity. So we are always looking to measure things. And that can be a great bonus, but it can also send us off course that little bit. So, you know, when I think back, I used to test agility. And I've always tested uh, linear running speed, but I started to question it. And the main, you know, if, if I look back, we, we called them agility tests then. What we, we would now call them is our change of direction tests. And what I wasn't seeing was how, whether the athletes getting better at the test was translating into improved performance or just as importantly, was the information I was getting from the tests actually helping me make intelligent decisions with the training? What I was finding was that I was getting actually more information by watching athletes move in various movement patterns, various movement scenarios, and that would give me as much information on which to base the program as the test. So that was probably the the start of me shifting out of testing, as I said, in those days, agility, and probably haven't gone back in on that. Now, that's not to say that it's necessarily bad, but where I do have concerns about it is where we take the lessons from change of direction tests 
and we expand them out into the wider world of agility. Because if we take any change of direction test, we tend to measure two things. We, the most obvious one is time. So we presume that doing something quicker is doing something better. And occasionally we will put force platforms or something in to measure more force. More force is necessarily better. Yet in many movement instances in the game, that's not necessarily the case. My, my goal is simply to perform a task, not necessarily to move as quick as I can or with as much force as I can. So when I take the results and the conclusions from those change of direction studies and expand them out, to me, I exclude too many critical things that explain or contribute to agility performance. So when I, when I change direction in a game context, if I look at what's happening, I'm assessing the spatial characteristics of the environment, where my team are, where the ball is, where the opposition acts. The temporal, how quick are they moving? How quick am I moving? What's the ultimate goal of that, of my movement pattern? What information is available? What information am I able to process? And so on. And that taken together dictates the movement that I have to do. And that differs so much from what we consider as change of direction from our tests. And I think the danger in is if we read too much and we take a purely research-focused approach, we exclude so many of these things. So I'm as likely to chat to somebody who's played the game and say, what would you do when you're faced with this scenario? How would you cope with somebody who you know is faster than you, who, who you know has a really sharp change of direction, and so on? And use combine that information with what I'll get from the research information. And that, that I find gives me a more all-encompassing understanding of what's going on. And when I think when I get into this, I got into this through trying to be a decent rugby player. Total failure, but I tried. <laughs> um, but it... I often relate back, when I watch a movement pattern or, or I, I read something that somebody said, I'll think, well, would I have done that? Is that what I faced in the game? Is that what I've had to coach in the game? And it's just uh, an ability to, to triangulate all of that information, I, I think is quite a useful way of looking at uh, change of direction, capacity and agility. First question, the one that came to me just now, and based on your playing experience, what level did you play at, Ian? What level did you get to? What did I get to? Um, you have to think back. This is a long, long time ago. So this, I my rugby career went 83 through 98. So it was 15 years. And in 95, okay. it turned professional. Yes, I was going to say that, just on the cusp. Yeah. So it's just on the on the cusp. So I actually signed a professional contract in ninety five, 
but it was more a semi-professional contract. So I was playing before the Welsh regions came in. Um, my, my club's teams were Swansea, Ebervale, Newport and Cardiff. So you played at a good level, really good level. It was a, de- it was a decent level. I, I wouldn't say I was ever the superstar, but uh, I, I hung around for a long time, put it that way. <laughs> do you think, and coming on to my, my question based on that, do you think the way you've just, just described your thought process when it comes to not testing and doing the things that we'll have a little chat a little bit more about now yeah. or in a second, do you think your playing career and how you reflected on that has helped that thought process? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just another frame of reference that I can refer to to help me understand movement. So I I said, I I pretty much, I think, triangulate three areas. My experiences as a player, my experiences as a coach, and my experiences as, as an academic. And I don't think I can fully understand it from only one of those perspectives. Nice little visual. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, and, and and I'm not saying that one of those or any of those is superior, but I think having the capacity to go to each one is something that I value. It may not be anything that somebody else would would get a lot out of, but it's just a way of, as much as anything, simplifying what we make remarkably complex. I think some of our terminologies uh, when it comes to skill acquisition are so complicated, they're not easily accessible, especially to um, coaches who may not be undertaking academic qualifications. Yet some of the tenets underlying these, I think, are relatively simple to understand. Mm -hmm. Just going back to the testing. So... We do a test, we've got everyone lined up, we've got the speed gates set out, we've got everything sorted, it's very comfortable, it's very structured, we get a number, it's good, bad, it, it, we turn it, it turns out, when we put it into our nice Excel, it goes green, amber or red. Very nice, very neat, and we can go to a coach and go, they got better or worse. Superb, fantastic. However, what you've just, just described may scare people because it's not neat it's not it can't be packaged it can't oh. be packaged up so I'm, what i'm going to ask is what are the scenarios based on that little description what are the scenarios that you would try to pick out to try and make sense of the movement movements that you're seeing to be able to make a decision moving forwards right i i think we as coaches have to become much more comfortable in the land of uncertainty. <laughs> not, underst- not understanding everything doesn't actually stop us from acting. Okay. So I don't understand everything that goes on in the, in the agility scenario. I don't think anybody ever will. But that doesn't stop me from interacting and coming up with decent results so to me the biggest 
influence I could have is to help the athlete play the game more effectively. That's what to me movement ultimately is about. So yes, it's nice to have our spreadsheets, our RAG systems and so on. But ultimately what the athlete wants from me is, can I score more goals? Can I make more breaks? Can I, can I improve my defensive capacities? And when the athletes see that, see those changes, when they see what you've practiced coming out into the game, I find the buy-in in what we do increases exponentially. And the understanding of what we're doing on the training field and how it relates, I find that is far more powerful actually than an improvement in the test score, especially if they don't see the relationship between the test score and what they're doing on the field. So a lot of my training has always been built around, right, can I improve? So I was a rugby winger. What I needed to be able to do was make outside breaks, inside breaks. I need to understand what I need to be able to do in order to do that. And what that brings out then is once you start to look at it like that, the added aspects of a cut, for example, it changes the whole nature of it. So offensively, I'll first of all move to shift you out of position before making that cut. Now, does that increase the force of the cut? No, it decreases it. Does it increase the speed of the cut? No, it decreases it. But it makes the cut more effective. And therein lies the contradictions of our measurements and what's effective in the game. And what I've found is that I've always shifted towards what's effective in the game rather than purely focusing on the measurements. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So it was a pleasure chatting to Ian for episode number 377 and you can check that out on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and I will chat to you soon.